As we start this morning, would you bow with me in prayer? Let's go to the Lord. Father, we're here as your people. We love you. We're so grateful for what you have done for us, in us, through us, and as Janet reminded us, in spite of us. The power of the Holy Spirit. We worship you because you are so much more than we could ever be. Because of that, we end up being fruitful, and that's amazing. God of the universe who fashioned us, who, who made us from nothing, and then in Christ made us something. The one who is, was, and is to come, the Almighty. The one who has set forth a plan to redeem rebel people like me and has offered us hope and a future in Jesus Christ, who is one day going to come back to redeem his people. And we look forward to that like the early church and say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. This morning we have um, nothing to bring to you. You have brought it all to us. And I pray that as we open the word, the Holy Spirit would speak um, to us, um, open our eyes to see things that we perhaps haven't seen, uh, stir in our hearts to make that heart pliable and moldable um, for your good, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, a couple of weeks ago, um, Pastor Charlie and I were down in Florida for a prayer conference that was amazing. And um, by the way, the, to me, the t-shirt the deal should just seal the deal for you as volunteers for VBS. Um, I, I tried that little uh, gimmick with my wife going down to Florida. She was not happy that I was going to Florida in the middle of winter and not taking her. And so I'd always heard, you know, you bring back a t-shirt and you should be good to go. <laughs> so right before I got on the plane to come back home in Tampa, I bought a t-shirt and it, it really didn't work. But anyway, we're flying to Florida on a no-frills airline uh, out of Trenton, New Jersey. How many of you never knew Trenton, New Jersey has an airport? Uh, uh, yeah, it's about the size of this room. Uh, it's really tiny, but it was cheap. And uh, so cheap you have to walk out in the tarmac and go up the steps to get in the plane, one of those kinds of cheap. And uh, also, of course, like every other airline pretty much, you have to pay for a check bag. But on Frontier, you also have to check, uh, pay for a carry-on bag. So we're only going to be gone two days. I figure I'll just take a carry-on and we'll be good to go. I don't need any checked luggage. And then we found out the carry-on is even more expensive than the checked luggage. So I did something I never did before. Um, I packed a bag with another man. <laughs> that really felt weird. Your fault. I'll probably never do that again. But, you know, when we look ahead to th things that are coming up, we, we prepare accordingly, right? So I've only going to be gone two days. I prepare accordingly. If you're going to be gone longer, you would prepare accordingly. If you're going to face something in the future that's really challenging and difficult, you prepare accordingly. Take a look at the video. I'm not sure exactly when the prepper movement started. 
but I do know that it's gaining. This is a group of people that are very devoted to being hyper-prepared. They're being prepared for doomsday scenarios or extinction events. It goes from Boston, Connecticut, Long Island. Most people are not prepared for disasters. A lot of people like to think they are, and there's so much to prepping. It's not just having food, it's having a mindset. You have to realize that people are not gonna come take care of you. You really have to be able to take care of yourself. After uh, the apocalypse, every, most of the people you love are gone. Most of your friends are gone. Everything you love to eat are gone. It's like uh, the beginning of mankind all over again. Okay, YouTubers, this is Daniel Prepper. Today's video is episode one on the Bug Out series. I got into prepping years ago, and there was a book I read called One Second After. And in this book, an EMP goes off uh, electromagnetic pulse, which sends the United States back into the dark ages. At the end of the book, there's a mentioning by Newt Gingrich on how this is a possibility. Terrorists are aware of it. It was pretty much a, a green light for me to start prepping. You crank this for as long as you can. People that are preppers are everyone and anyone. You know, you could be from any walk of life. You know, Jason's a fireman. You have one woman who she's an attorney. I work for a uh, high-tech company. My wife's a university professor. You know, people think that this group is hard up, tinfoil wearing, you know, conspiracy theory. No. Watch a documentary on Katrina. Look at something about Sandy. Look at the, you know, years afterward. Look at Puerto Rico right now. No power, no electricity. I was there for 9-11. The crime is out of control. The system will be overwhelmed. The U.S. is one of the top five countries in the world in terms of the number and severity of disaster events. It's because of our location on the globe. We have a lot of coastal regions and we have a large population, so we're vulnerable to earthquakes and volcanoes. We have wildfires, we have storm surge, hurricanes, cyclone-like events, flooding, landslides, mudslides. We have it all, so we are definitely at risk. There have been studies looking at how prepared the U.S. population is, and less than 50% has even the bare minimal requirements. So people don't want to think about it. The water just came in last night. There's people in there just waiting for, to get help. And it's horrible to be in that situation where you can't do anything, and you're just waiting. Some people think having a flashlight and, and a can of beans is it. It isn't constitutes a good light show and, you know, a bad night of gas. You prep enough, you're gonna make it through that disaster. The roundabout number to start with is 30 days, and then move on to 60 days, then 90, then keep going a month at a time. I'm still at a year and a half after next week when I go on my prepper blitz, which is just canned goods at a supermarket, I'll be at a year and eight, nine months. So the question I want us to think about this morning is if something bad's going to happen, what kind of preparation do you have to make? Do you know that something lies ahead? What is, what, what are you going to do to get ready for that? And our text this morning is back in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 17. When Jesus is talking uh, with the Pharisees in response to a question about the arrival of the kingdom of God, when the kingdom of God's going to come. And we're going to read two verses. You're going to see him interact with the Pharisees. And then he shifts his attention. And then he has a conversation from then on, not with them, but with his disciples. And that switch is significant. We're actually going to be 
talking a little bit about both groups this morning. Luke chapter 17, beginning of verse 20. And the question of the message this morning is, who's your life for? One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Now the kingdom of God is all over Jesus' conversation in the, book, in the Gospels, the first four books in the New Testament. Common topic of, uh, of, uh, that he addresses. And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. And then he said to his disciples, so remember the, the, the Pharisees asking him this question. These are his critics. These are people who don't accept uh, the mission he came to earth for. Disciples different. He said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns. Of course, Son of Man is his self-designation. He's talking about himself. Time will come when you long to see when the Son of Man returns, but you won't see it. In other words, things are going to be so bad that you want me to come back. People will tell you, look, there's the Son of Man, or here he is, but don't go out and follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man comes. But first, the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up <clears throat> to the time Noah entered his boat. And the flood came and destroyed them all. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating, drinking, buying and selling, farming and building. Until the day, until the morning, Lot left Sodom. And then fire and burning sulfur rained down in the heaven, from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is re, uh, revealed. On that day, a person <clears throat> out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife? If you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed, one taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. And then they asked the same question as the Pharisees. When will this happen, Lord? The disciples asked. Jesus replied, just as the gathering of vultures shows there's a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Now I want to talk uh, about the kingdom this morning and in two ways. We're going to call it Kingdom 1.0 and Kingdom 2.0. It's the beginning of the kingdom and then the completion or the, or the culmination uh, of the kingdom. Now, the Pharisees were uh, interested in what Jesus had to say about the arrival of the kingdom because they knew as good, faithful, um, Old Testament reading Jews that God had promised over and over again, especially in the prophetic books, that even though their life was full of struggles and bad things, that sooner or later he was going to come back to earth, he was going to invade earth and, and set up his kingdom. He was going to deliver them. And this was one more time in the, uh, in the course of is Hebrews' history where things weren't going well for them. They were under the, th uh, the thumb of Rome. They had some measure of freedom, but they really couldn't live their lives the way they believed God wanted them to, to live them. And so they were looking forward, hoping that this would be soon, that God would come and set up his kingdom. 
And over the years, this has continued to be a theme by the Jewish people. In fact, during World War II, when Hitler was uh, exterminating the Jewish people in Europe, um, many a rabbi had their people come to them and say, Rabbi, wouldn't this be a great time for the Messiah to come? And I want to give you just a sample of the kinds of words that the people would have heard in the temple and then later in the synagogue. Isaiah chapter 33, words of comfort for the future. 33 beginning of verse 21. The Lord will be our mighty one. He will be like a wide river of protection that no enemy can cross, that no enemy ship can sail upon. For the Lord is our judge, our lawgiver, and our king. He will care for us and save us. And so there, is, there was these repeated assurances by God to the, to the Hebrews. I'm going to come back. I'm going to take care of your enemies. I'm going to blot them out. And things will be as they always should have been. So they're looking forward to that. They're anticipating that. And so they will come to Jesus hoping that this will happen soon. When's the kingdom going to come, Jesus? Now, you have to understand, again, that the people that are asking this question don't see in Jesus any indicator that that might be coming soon. They have this craving for, uh, for some sort of physical manifestation of the kingdom and, again, for things to be turned aright in the world. They weren't looking for the same thing that God was preparing them for in the Old Testament. By the way, this craving, this desire for the end to come and things to be made right is is the same kind of longing that we share, isn't it? The early church would, would declare Maranatha, and the word meant, come quickly, Lord Jesus. There's an anticipation, a desire for things to be put right. But this focus on the day, Jesus addressed in Mark 13, he says, nobody knows, remember this, nobody knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man's going to return. Even though people try to identify it down through the ages, they've done this. I, I was on the internet the other day looking into this, and from 1900 until today, there have been 91 people who have identified the end of the world is going to come on this day, or Jesus is going to come back on this day. In 2011, my wife and I were in Chicago for the uh, Gospel Coalition Conference, and we're walking up, I think it was Michigan Avenue, and suddenly across the intersection comes three brightly colored RVs going slowly by. And this was just a couple of months before Harold Camping had predicted the end of the world on May 21st. So this was like March. And he had bought 20 RVs and put people in them. They're crisscrossing the nation trying to convince people the, the end is approaching. Jesus is coming back. And, of course, then uh, there's this letdown after on May 22nd, and Jesus hadn't come back. And so just a reminder, when somebody tells you this is when it's all going to end, that's probably a day that you can be assured it's not going to end. Because Jesus says no one knows the day or the hour. Not even He said even I don't know the day or the hour. I think that meant while he was here on planet Earth, because some of his divine capabilities he'd put in a blind trust and didn't access them. Nobody knows this day. But then Jesus said something amazing to the Pharisees. Would have been amazing for them. He said, the kingdom is already among you. What did he mean? Some of your texts might say within you, and that's, a, that's an ad accurate translation. 
But he wasn't saying to the Pharisees, the kingdom of God's within you. These were, these were enemies of God. Jesus identified them that way. So it wasn't like the kingdom of God was there. It, the kingdom of God was there in the sense that Jesus was there. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was just starting his ministry, the first time he preached in his hometown synagogue of Nazareth, he preached from Isaiah 61, the first couple of verses, and every Jew knew that those were kingdom of God verses. Every time those were read, there was a reminder that what God was coming to deliver them. Jesus preached that sermon that morning. He sat down, rolled up the scroll, sat down, gave the scroll to the attendant, and it was all quiet. People were waiting expectantly for the application. And then he said, this text... This scripture is fulfilled in your presence today. And what he meant was, I have come. I'm, the, I'm God's messenger. I'm God's redeemer. I'm God's deliverer. I have come. And so in my presence, in my coming, I have inaugurated, I have brought to planet earth the beginning of God's kingdom. Jesus would say when he cast out demons, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then you know that the kingdom of God is here. And so the Pharisees blind to it, but Jesus wanted them to know the beginning has, a, it's already, uh, kingdom 1.0 has already started. Now he says in verse 25, he says, but, he's talking to the disciples now, but before all these things happen, the son of man, again, he was talking about himself, must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. That word be rejected means to be weighed and evaluated and declared useless. They weren't just turning their backs on him. They were saying, you are absolutely worthless. You are absolutely useless. Jesus wanted his disciples to know that there's something significant that's going to stand between now and when the fullness of God's uh, kingdom comes. And that is the significant event Jesus, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be rejected, ultimately put to death. Now, there is a time where the fullness of God's kingdom is coming. Theologians like to look at Jesus and describe the kingdom this way. It's now, it has started, but it's not yet. It's begun, but it's not complete. Its fullness is not going to come until Jesus comes back, and that day is coming. Jesus is going to return and the kingdom will come in its fullness. Now, when do you think, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when do you think Jesus is coming back? And I don't mean by that question what date. We just talked about the futility of that. Not the date. But has it crossed your mind in the last month, in the last year, that there's a end coming to what you're experiencing right now, that there's, there's a wrap-up coming. You're, you're living life. You're going to work Monday through Friday or Saturday and Sunday. You're doing this. You're going to school. You're, you're trans, um, you know, there's, there's these business transactions that are taking place and so forth. You're watching Netflix. Do you have a sense in the midst of all that, one day it's going to come to an abrupt end? You know, the Bible says, uh, speaks over, the uh, New Testament speaks over 300 times about the return of Jesus. These preppers that we saw on the video, they stock up on food, they stock up on med medical supplies, uh, have supply of fresh drinking water, 
weapons. They have everything they think they need to face whatever is coming. I wonder whether or not that's true of most people today. Is there a spiritual preparation for what is coming? When Jesus returns, his, the, the, the arrival is going to be extraordinarily sudden. Jesus comes back, sudden arrival. I want you to listen to these verses, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. <clears throat> When P, uh, I'm sorry, verse 2, went, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Ordinary life goes boom, 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 boom. And Jesus talks about two examples of previous judgment that God's done because make no mistake about it, when the Son of Man comes back, there's going to be both a judgment and a blessing. It just depends who you are as to what you get. Jesus refers back to the judgment of the flood. And God had Noah make this massive boat and bring animals onto it and bring Noah and his wife and Noah's three sons and their wives. Eight people got behind the door. The door was closed. The waters began to rise. And the people, all, all the people of the world, every single person except those eight, died. And the point that Jesus wanted to make was not just to remind people of the uh, future judgment that's coming, but how ordinary life seemed to be leading up to that moment. That people would have banquets and that they would go to parties and they would be invited to and plan weddings. That they would farm and that they would build buildings and that they would start businesses. That they would raise children and they would raise food and they would go places and they would have good times with friends and dinners out. And they'd watch videos. And they'd surf the internet. Just like that. And then in the same way, when God judged Sodom, Lot left. And that was the cue for God to be, be able to judge the city with the kind of awful judgment that's depicted there in Genesis. Fire falls from heaven. Flaming sulfur falls from heaven. And again, he says, in Sodom, everything was, was normal. You just see normal life. Things go along the way they always have. This is what Peter warned his hearers, 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, there are, there are going to be scoffers come in the last days who are going to say, where's this end of the world that these Christians are talking about? Everything goes on like it always has. We do this, we do that. Monday comes, Tuesday comes, Wednesday comes, Thursday comes, Friday comes. And then the next week we do it all over again. And it, one week looks like the last and one month looks like the last. One year looks like the last as well. Really, you can't be serious when you say you think God's actually going to come back and disrupt all this. Ordinary, ordinary life. But make no mistake about it, there is a sudden, sudden danger to the lost in that arrival. The next verse in 1 Thessalonians 5 says, when people are saying, everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. And there will be no mistake, uh, no escape. Later on in 2 Peter chapter 3, it's interesting. 
Peter says that, he says, some of you think that God's kind of tardy. He's slow in bringing his um, kingdom here on earth. But the purpose of that is God is delaying that so that more people will be saved. That God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you, you ever think about that? That maybe Jesus could have come back 150 years ago, but God in his mercy for us delays and puts off. I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. Would you just stand to your feet right now? It's not going to get weird. It's okay. But I'm going to ask you to pray. What might be weird for you is I'm going to ask you to pray out loud just a sentence. I want you to bring to mind somebody that you are concerned about who doesn't know Jesus and won't be ready for that day when Jesus returns. And here's what I want you to pray. Work in, and then whether it's Jim or Sue or Heather, put the name there. Work in Heather's life, heart. Work in Heather's life heart and give time for her to be saved. Work in Jim's heart and give time for her to be saved. Now, if the person you're praying for is standing next to you, don't say that out loud. All right? Um, let's do that together. Just where you're at at your seat, work in Kim's heart and give time for her to be saved. Our prayer, Lord, this is our prayer for people that we know and love who need Jesus. Our prayer is that you would, you would hold off our Savior until they come to see the light of the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. We prayed that because when Jesus comes back, some will be accepted, some will be rejected. Listen to these words in Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 8. That doesn't sound right. Chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, at the end of that chapter, it says that Jesus will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Did you catch what's not said there? To bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. There's a whole other category of people that aren't mentioned there. And that's those who are not eagerly waiting for him. And for them, when Jesus comes back, it is a time of wrath and judgment, the likes of which the world has never seen. Now, if we think that that sounds heartless and unkind of God, we have to go back and remember verse 25 from what we read in Luke 17. Jesus said... The son of man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. In other words, Jesus says, I'm going, to, I'm going to be tortured and die. I'm going to be tortured and die. Then we fast forward to verse 33. And Jesus says, if you want to cling to your life, you're going to lose it. However, if you are willing to give up your life, you're going to gain it. What did he mean by that? Maybe, we can, uh, maybe it will be helpful to speak about two lives. 
if I'm going to hold on to my physical life and have it serve me and satisfy me and do all the things that make me happy, I'm going to lose my eternal life. Conversely, if I'm willing to give my physical life to the Lord Jesus Christ and serve him with it instead of myself with it, I'm going to gain this eternal life. And that's an important thing for you to hear if you're not a follower of Jesus, but it is every bit as important for us to hear all over again if we do follow Jesus. Because how easy and how quick, quickly we just kind of drift into this life where it's about me and satisfying me and serving me and me spending my time doing what I want and me doing things that don't make me look foolish and spending my money the way I want to spend it. And Jesus says, look, if you're going to follow me, you've got to understand it's not simply a matter of praying a prayer. That will get you into my kingdom, but make no mistake that if you want to be in my kingdom, you are dying to yourself. I was on this plane coming back from Florida the other week, and I had had an amazing conversation with my seatmate for two and a half hours. We talked, and we talked, and we talked, and we finally got to the gospel. It was an amazing conversation. And plane landed and we're at the gate and people are standing up and we're getting ready to get off. And um, there, are, because we're offloading both in the back of the plane and the front of the plane, we had people that were not just facing the front, but people in front of our seat that were facing back. And so there were people all around us, Charlie and myself and this woman, we're, we're still seated. And there are people all around us kind of standing up, look, some of them looking at us. And, and the Holy Spirit said, I want you to pray for Liz. And I'm like, uh, it's going to be weird. People are looking. They're watching. It's going to be weird. She'll feel awkward. I'm trying to protect her. God says, I want you to pray for her. I'm like, no. That happened five times until I finally said, all right, Liz, can I pray for you? Sure, that'd be great. You cling to your life, you're going to lose it. You give up your life. going to save it. Who's your life for? Amazing song, perfect song right before message, perfect song to end with. Who's, basically said, who's your life for? Crown him. I'm going to have the worship team come up now, and I want you to kind of wrestle with this with me. Who's your life for? You say, well, I've said yes to Jesus. Okay. Since you did that, who has your life been for? Who's it all about? Paul says the end of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, I think it is. He says, I die daily. And what he meant was I face death every day. I, I, I could be killed in a moment's notice because of the ministry that he's called me to. And most of you and I, that will not happen to us in our lifetimes, probably. Most of us... Uh, won't be faced with a choice, okay, do I stand with Christ or do I face the firing squad or the executioner's sword? Most of us won't have that. But um, almost moment by moment, we will be in positions where we will decide whether or not I live for Keith or whether or not I live for Jesus. Do you live 
for Carrie or do you live for Jesus? Do you live for Kyle or do you live for Jesus? And accepting that just as Jesus was rejected, we're going to be rejected too. I mean, so much of the final words that Jesus had for his disciples was, look, bad things have happened to me. They're going to happen to you too. People hated me, and as a result, they're going to hate you. In this world, you will have trouble. Will you take every moment of trouble to find a way to glorify me, or will you seek to escape, and will you seek to satisfy self? I don't know how that applies to you, but God knows your heart. And so for these last couple of minutes, we're going to wrap up with a um, worship team just playing some background music. I'd like you to just uh, invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you wherever you're at in your life, is there, is there some aspect of your life that the Spirit would say, um, my child, you, you've, you've sold out here. You've sold out there. You know it. Maybe nobody else knows it, but you know it. And what are you going to do about it? And so for just a couple of minutes, just where you're at at your seats, just do some business with the Lord. God shows you some area in your life that you need to turn from sin, you need to go back to somebody and make something right, you need to offer someone forgiveness, you need to pay some money back, you need to break off a relationship, whatever God asks you to do, here's the promise. That if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, there is hope. Jesus didn't tell us to give up our lives because he's simply intent in making our lives miserable. We confuse misery and happiness sometimes and think 
gives us happiness or pleasure or joy or satisfaction or prosperity or glorious future. We think that's right and our minds are confused because the enemy has distorted us. Jesus desires us to give, a, to give us the great and glorious hope of peace with the living God who's made us and who's bought us with his son's blood. So he brings you to the point of recognition. He'll bring you to the point of confession. He'll bring you to the point of restoration. And that's where the joy is. <laughs>